So what's the true meaning of Christmas? Isn't that the, the question that movies and commercials, news articles, and even sermons always discuss this time of year? You know, we hear the true meaning of Christmas and our eyes kind of glaze over and they maybe roll back. But okay, sometimes the worst time you see someone actually try to express the true meaning of Christmas the worst is when they get it wrong. You know, don't do this, do this. This is the true meaning of Christmas. It's like, no, that's not the true meaning of Christmas. Sorry. So, for example, I read this inspirational quote about Christmas recently. For many people, the holidays mean exchanging presents, spending time with family, and eating good food. Okay, so it starts off good so far, right? Amid the bustle of finding appropriate gifts and making travel plans, it can be easy to forget that Christmas is really about togetherness. Togetherness. Is that, is that what Christmas is, is really about, Time Magazine? As followers of Christ, we, we know it's not about togetherness. It makes us groan on the inside. Oh, But sometimes other false messages can kind of slip in under the radar. Here's another quote. Christmas is the spirit of giving without a thought of getting. It is happiness because we see joy in people. It is forgetting self and finding time for others. It is discarding the meaningless and stressing true values. Thomas S. Monson, the Mormon president until 2019. Is that the spirit of Christmas? Giving without thought of getting, seeing joy in people, forgetting self, and finding time for others? I mean, those sound pretty good, right? But is there anything missing here? With this question about the meaning of Christmas in mind, we are going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now in our Philippians series earlier this year, Ed did an outstanding job bringing about the meaning of this passage, right? He drew, how, he drew out how the Apostle Paul, he's calling the church, calling us to be unified in humility, a humility driven by what Christ did in emptying himself. We did in the gospel. But this morning, we're going to look at this passage again, but this time with Christmas in focus, the great humility of God in Christmas. Church family, let's read this passage together now. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray now that the Lord would bless the preaching of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we bless you, we glorify you, we praise you that you are God, the one true God, the God of heaven and earth. Thank you that you sent your only begotten Son, your eternal Son, true God from true God, true light from true light, God eternal. You sent him to take on flesh, to be born of a virgin, born in a manger, born that he might set us free from our sin. We might live for you, that we might live to glorify you forever and ever. Would you please bless the preaching of your word this morning? Praise things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So what is the meaning of Christmas according to this passage? Christmas is about the humble step of the eternal God, the true God, who is from true God, the eternal, only begotten Son of God. It's about His emptying Himself, and it's about the glory that drove His humble step. While the Son's humbly taking on flesh and becoming a baby might sound like His forgetting himself, this is not what it is. His every thought in his humility was driven by the eternal glory of his Father and his own glory with his Father. This is what this passage teaches us about Christmas. Christ's humble step was driven by God's glory. And our humble steps should be as well. The Son of God's emptying himself by becoming a man, laying down his life all the way to the cross. It's not a lesson in losing all sense of self for the common good. Christmas from beginning to end, yes, it is about humility, but it's a humility driven by God's glory. We understand the magnitude of Christ's humility because we recognize the absolute glory of his eternal divine nature prior to his incarnation. We also see the weightiness of his humility when we discover the glory to which God the Father exalts him because of his humility. God's glory Christ's own eternal glory. From beginning to end, it's the driver behind the Son's humble step of entering the manger. A manger that would lead to a cross. From a cross to a throne. Christ's humble step was driven by glory. In our humble steps, they should be as well. We will look at this now from two angles. Christ's humble step in our humble steps. 
Let's first look at Christ's humble step. This passage takes us into Christ's glory, a glory of eternity past before his humble step, and then takes us into his humble incarnation, and then finally all the way to the glory of his final exaltation. To see Christ in his eternity past, let's read verse 6 again. Who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as something to be grasped. He was in the form of God. That means he had the very essence, the very nature of God. See, unlike Christ, you and I are in the form of humanity, the form of mankind. We have the essence and the nature of humanity. Everything that defines a human Everything that makes a human a human, you and I, we have it. On the other hand, the Son of God is in the form of God. He has everything that defines God as God. What God has, the Son has it. One of the things that defines God as God is there's only one true God. That means the Son of God with the Father and with the Spirit is the one and only eternal God. They are one God. Three persons, one God. The eternal glory of God, that eternal glory was the glory of Christ. To to think about glory for a second and the glory that Christ has in eternity, let's look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. This is King David, he's describing the glory of God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So each of God's attributes, his blessedness, That means he's always joyful. He delights in who he is. His eternity, his greatness, his power, his glory, his victory over all things, his majesty, his sovereignty, his beneficence, his his kindness towards all creation, his omnipotence. As he wants to do, he can do. All of that belongs to the eternal Son of God. See, Christ did not have to grasp at equality with God because he had equality with God. He was God, the Son of God. His divine nature equal in all ways to the nature of the Father. So this absolute divine glory of the Son, it magnifies the greatness of his humility in his self-emptying, his humbling himself by taking on a human nature. Verse 7 and 8 describe for us this humility. Let's read verse 7 and 8 again. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. So Paul, in this entire context, he's warning the church against the pursuit of empty worldly glory. Empty worldly glory, which can cause divisions in our church among ourselves, or divisions in our family, or political divisions. And, and Paul's commending the pursuit of humble service, a humble emptying of oneself, which can cause church unity, family unity, and it produces real, eternal glory. So when Paul describes Christ emptying himself in verse 7 and 8, Paul is showing what it looks like to be driven by the opposite of the world's empty glory. He's showing what it looks like to be driven by real glory. It looks like self-emptying, serving, humbling, humbling oneself, obeying God all the way to death. So I think it's important to clarify what Paul is not saying because there's a lot of confusion about this. Paul's not saying that Christ, in his humble step, changed in his deity. He didn't didn't lose his divinity. He didn't lose his eternal glory in his divine nature. The text does not say he emptied himself of his deity or of his divine glory as if his deity could change or, or his glory, his divine glory in his divine nature could change. God cannot ever become any less than God is in himself. He can never become less glorious. See, Jesus emptied himself, not by changing his divine nature, but adding to his unchangeable divine nature a nature that can change, a nature that is lowly, a nature that is empty of its own glory. See, we get, we get an idea of, of our human nature and its emptiness, its lowliness in comparison to God and His glory in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 17. It describes the emptiness of all human glory in comparison to God's glory. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him, counted by God, as less than nothing, an emptiness. So he's saying, you add up all the glory of the nations of the world, you know, the billions of people on earth, each individual one having their own degrees of glory, you add them all up as the nations of the world, and all of them are accounted by God as less than nothing and emptiness. We can think about this in terms of electricity. Now, I know I'm on shaky ground here. There are electricians in our midst, so uh, bear with me. I'll get corrected later. But let's say that all the nations are radiating one kilowatt of glory. How much of that one kilowatt of glory that's radiating through the nations is coming from God? All of it. All of it. So how much is coming from us apart from God? None of it. It's like one plus zero equals one. Math that that my daughters can do. 
God, to God be all the glory and honor and praise. Everything that's good, every perfect gift comes from God to glorify God. So what great humility. The eternal Son of God, the very image and glory and light of the Father, became a human. A zero. A big fat zero. A creaturely servant formed to bear the Father's image in glory. So think of his incarnation in terms of his uniting himself, the eternal light, light from light, to an empty glass lampshade. An empty glass lampshade. In his deity, he's the light of the world, light from light eternal, the one who gives light to all men who come into the world. It's through his light that we can see light itself. And yet, he humbled himself by joining his very identity to a glass lampshade, completely empty of any self-produced light, completely dependent, producing no light, but only receiving light from God. Again, what great humility. The eternal glory of God joined his identity with a human nature that has zero glory from itself, a nature that he accounts as less than nothing and empty. We see in verse 8 the absoluteness of the Son's step of humility. Read verse 8 with me again. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we see the great extent of the Son's humility. We see it not through his walking on water or multiplying bread and fish, healing the blind or raising the dead. It was through his absolute obedience, his finishing the task the Father had given him. It was through his fulfilling the entire law, drinking the last drop of wrath of God on behalf of his chosen people that we might see his absolute humility and know and worship him as the great I am. Only God could in humility remain so blessed and forgiving even while being so cursed and forsaken. Only God could pour out so much divine mercy by uniting himself to a human nature and drinking in so much divine wrath. Only God could express such absolute love for the world through his perfect long-suffering even as the world expressed absolute contempt, continuous scoffing. Only a true man who himself was true God could so completely empty himself of the world and its empty glories. Only the incarnate Son of God could crucify the world in his own body judge the sins of the world in his flesh, and out of the seed of his crucified and buried humanity, bring to life a new creation united to God himself. 
What great humility. This passage also shows us the magnitude, the weightiness of the Son's humble step and the final glory that results from it. Read verses 9 and 10 with me again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Christ finished the task of redemption, the task that the Father had charged His eternal Son, the Father exalted the Son in His human nature to the very glory the Son had with the Father before the world began. The Son's humiliation, it was completed on the cross. What does this humiliation, what does it deserve? How weighty of a humiliation was it? Because of his humble step, the Son receives the eternal glory and praise and worship of God. And now he receives it in his human nature, which he will be united with forever. Forevermore, when the world sees Jesus Christ with the scars on his hands, the scars in his feet, the scars in his side. There's no question. This man is Yahweh. No longer in his humiliation, but now in his exalted glory. This true man is the true God who is from true God. To see Jesus now is to bow, to worship him to confess that He is the Lord to the glory of the Father. It is Christ's divine glory that shows the magnitude of His humble step. Why? Because it was His divine glory that from beginning to end drove His humble step at Christmas. And this, this humble step, this divine glory that drove it, should also motivate us in our own humble steps. See, we have only one appropriate response to Christ. We must also take humble steps driven by God's glory. Look at verse 5. How this all started in Paul's context. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's the mind that we must have? The mind to empty ourselves. To empty ourselves of our own glory. The world's empty glory. To live as servants of God. To humbly obey, even to the point of death, for God's eternal glory. See, if we want God's light to shine through us for His glory, then we must view ourselves as producing the one zero, or the, sorry, the zero kilowatt of glory that we do. We must seek for ourselves zero kilowatts of our own worldly glory. We must empty ourselves so that the image of Christ, the glory of God, will fill us 
and shine through us, bringing our Father in heaven the most glory. So then, what are some humble steps that best mirror Christ's humble step of emptying himself? To begin with, emptying yourself like Christ looks like bowing your knee before Christ, receiving His his forgiveness for all your sins, declaring Him your Lord and your God. If you've never turned from your sins, if you've never turned from your self-ruled life, then today is the day to turn to Christ. Cast your cares, cast your sins, Cast your life upon Him. Confess with your mouth that He is Lord. If you humble yourself before God in this way, this self-humbling will will be the beginning of your glorifying Him through your heart and your life. For those of us who have emptied ourselves before Christ, who have received His total forgiveness for sins and confessed Him as Lord, here's a question. Are we now living as humble servants of God? The humble servants of God that we confess that we are? Or are we still trying to be the hero in our life, producing the the one kilowatt of glory, by our own strength, our own power, on our own terms. We're not the hero. We're the zero. We're not the zero. I'm sorry, we are the zero. Scratch that from the tape. We're not the hero. We're the zero. We are a zero to magnify that he's the hero. We want to be great in the kingdom of God. And we want to be great. We want to be great in the kingdom of God. The way to do that is by living as humble servants of His glory. So what are some ways we can wrongly act like the hero of our life instead of a humble servant? How can we begin imitating Christ and emptying ourselves and living like a zero? It begins with us men, our humble, humble ourselves men before our families, as husbands and as fathers. We know that God has designed us, called us to step up as leaders in our household. However, I've seen men, and I, I know you probably have seen men as well, who begin to view themselves as the hero in their household rather than the household's lead zero their lead servant. And this can come out in multiple different ways, through maybe domineering in the family or even being neglectful in the family. The domineering husband, in fear he controls his wife and his kids, manipulating their behavior, either coddling them on the one hand as kind of helpless victims that always need his, his constant uh, care and, and always need him hovering over them, or by his threatening them like they're villains in his household who he must constantly control with fits of anger, the law of God and the rod. 
Okay, the, the rod is a good thing the Lord gives us, and we're going to discuss that, but, but it can be wielded in a way that's like the hero rather than as a humble servant. Okay, the, the neglectful husband pours himself out like he's a hero at his workplace, pouring himself at the workplace, providing for the family. But as soon as he's at home, he's an off-duty hero, thinking of himself as he's, he's earned his right for a work-free, responsibility-free zone to put up his feet, zone out, nothing his problem. There's another cop on duty right now. There's another hero in the home. Husbands and fathers, being the leader of our family does not mean we're our family's hero. It means we're the lead zero. The leader in humbly serving, pouring ourselves out for the family. Yes, we're called to lovingly, patiently train, discipline our families, even with the rod. But this is in a context in which we should be the first to encourage, the first to express love and affection, the first to train and discipline ourselves, the first to offer to serve in bearing burdens, the first to overlook sins committed against us, the first to defer in our preferences, the first to seek reconciliation and extend forgiveness, the first to admit we're wrong and ask forgiveness, the first to call upon the Lord in all our troubles, the first to look to Christ for joy in all our sufferings, the first to open our Bibles and seek His wisdom and guidance. And I could go on. So are we ready to eat some humble Christmas pie this Christmas, men? This is is my homework. Ask your wife, this is how to begin after today's sermon, ask your wife and kids, if you have any kids, what is one way my leadership in the home could be less like a glory-seeking hero and more like the lead zero, the leader in humbly serving in my home. Now, wives, children, be gracious in this. Be gracious to your husbands and fathers. If husbands do remember to ask you this question, first of all, encourage them in remembering to ask this question. Encourage them in humbling themselves before you and asking for feedback. Second of all, after you encourage, say, good job, Dad, you know, doing what Mr. Kyle said up there. Second, just give them one example. Just limit it to one. Long grocery lists of defects don't usually encourage and build up and help. They don't produce the effects we desire. Now, there's another reason I want to encourage you know, wives and children to be humble and, and to be gracious in, toward their fathers and husbands because husbands and wives, I'm going to give you some humble Christmas pie to eat as well. Though husbands and fathers, we must lead the way, which is why I address you first. I'm, I, I want to be hardest on you because we are the leaders in being humble servants. 
but though we must lead the way, wives and children, you must follow the example. I encourage you to ask your father, ask your husband, how can I grow in, in be, being less of a glory seeking hero in our home? How can I grow in humbly serving our, our family, emptying myself for others in the home? How can I be more encouraging, emptying myself? How can I be a, a better brother or sister, a better son or daughter? And singles, you can grow in this as well, in humbling yourselves, emptying yourselves, either through asking your coworkers who you're working with. Say, how am I doing as a co You want to talk about humble pie? Ask your coworkers, how do you feel like I'm doing as an employee? They're like, what are you talking about? Well, guess, guess what? That can open up doors to the gospel. I'm a follower of Christ. And he humbled himself by emptying himself to save me from my sin. And I'm going to humble myself before and ask you, as a peer at work, how, how am I doing? How could I better serve the team? Ask your boss, even when it's not time for evaluation, how could I be a better employee and serve the company better? We can all grow in emptying ourselves before one another, humbling ourselves serving one another. If I could ask the band to now please come up. What's the true meaning of Christmas? It's not about togetherness. It's not only about togetherness. It does bring us together. That's good. It's not even about selfless social good. Christmas is about the humility of Jesus Christ, a humility driven by God's glory. It's about Christ's glory before his humble step, in his humble step that magnified his great glory. And it's about his glory forevermore afterward in his eternal exaltation. Christ's humble step It was driven by God's glory. And so our humble steps, they should be as well. We humble ourselves first in bowing before Him, emptying ourselves before Him, confessing our sins, declaring Him as Lord. Then we humble ourselves by emptying ourselves before others, seeking to serve in love, show care, and affection. As we have this mind that is ours in Christ, we know that the very acts of emptying ourselves before others is His diffusing His glory and His light, the very light of Christmas in us and through us, in our hearts and lives and to those around us. And we know that one day, when we ourselves are glorified with him as he is glorified now, we will see how all the pain and the sorrow, the suffering that we enter into in our emptying ourselves before one another, we will see how it's all worth it. It's all worth it. His glory 
will be worth it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be glorified, oh God. Would you glorify yourself through this message, through your word. Would you work your will in your way. Would you shine your glory in our hearts, in our lives, even this morning. Would you convert the dead, resurrect the dead, dead hearts that don't care about your glory, who are hungry for their own glory. Would you bring them to life, Lord, through Christ, for your glory through Christ? Would you grow us to be more like Christ, conformed to his image, seeing his glory? We want to be like him. We want to radiate his glory. We, we want to bring you glory through our lives. So humble us, Lord, we pray. Give us strength to humble ourselves before our family members, before our co-workers, before our roommates, that you might be glorified as we humble ourselves. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.